0: From beanies to carry bags, and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at TNTRadio.live. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show on today's
1: News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome Björveli, welcome to 2024, and I would like to get the to take the chance to talk with my good friend ola tonander uh, about um, an upcoming article he's written um, who gives us which gives us uh, an outline of the last 30 plus years and i found it extremely interesting so um, as we go into the new year which will be probably with a lot of turmoil um, it is good to have a architect uh, birds eye overview about the history after the end of the cold war hello you hear me i hope yeah hello okay hello Uh, then um i would like to follow your article really because i really enjoyed it reading because it's very comprehensive and but still there are a lot of quotes in there which i found some of them i didn't even know which were really interesting. So let's start uh, with the with the shift between the bipolar world, which we had between USSR and uh, the West um, communist bloc and the West, if you want to call it like that, USSR and USSR, USA, Uh, but maybe you can take from there. So um, what happened um, that this stopped? And uh, when did the Americans start to think about uh, their new world order?
2: Yes, uh, I, I think uh, at the time of, you know, in 1989, and the fall of the Berlin Wall, it was clear that uh, you had, uh, it was, a, many people were thinking that it's over. The the kind of confrontation that <laughs> we <I> had. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, many people yeah. were thinking yeah. that the kind of confrontation was over. And uh, one could collaborate between states, and this was a kind of a. a I think it's a, yeah, dominating in Europe definitely, and to some extent in United States, and it was. But at the same time in United States, there was a a lot of people, and particularly the people who were came to be called the neoconservatives, that thought that. United States should have supremacy. United States should be on top of it. And uh, they agreed to collaborate with Gorbachev, but this was, as uh, one historian in Wilson Center called it uh, a facade. It was a kind of cooperative facade. And they wanted to collaborate with Gorbachev, so that he withdraw the 350,000 forces in from uh, from east germany you know there was a huge amount of military forces in east germany on the soviet yes. time and then they for them for the west it was important that soviet union and moscow accepted to withdraw this and they accepted it because the west was collaborating with them and they accepted it so that uh, because the all the western leaders actually said we will not extend nato that was you know the clear message to gorbachev and that is written down in all the records and uh, you know it was not treaty but still it was definitely promises to United, to gorbachev and uh, these kind of promises are actually uh, legally binding in, if you go to international law. Mm-hmm. So that means that, that uh, uh, what happened afterwards was that the uh, United States and some other countries violated international law and extended uh, NATO. And this, of course, created a confrontation with uh, Moscow, which uh,
1: but let's you get a little bit back. The... Um, I, I think we uh, we will go into that in more detail because uh, you also had another paper where you explained why it was illegal and why uh, oral um, an, an oral agreement is binding in international law. But the first thing that I noticed um, uh, is this article. You wrote about it from 91 from Charles Krauthammer uh, mm. in uh, in foreign affairs. Um, that is where you read the really important outlooks into the future. Yeah, right now uh, we had an article in foreign affairs, which was called the big one. It's about the war with China, the war between USA and China and how to how to have a war Uh, that stays under the nuclear uh, confrontation. So they're planning for this already. But at that time, in foreign affairs, Krauthammer described um, that in the what we call the first Gulf War, um, and I quoted, he said, Germany and Japan have generally hidden under the table. So Mm. uh, Europe was, uh, um, as you describe in your article, was oriented to diplomacy, to solve I mean, the blood soaked continent of Europe, that is our biggest achievement, I think. That uh, it's now, it's simply not imaginable that Germany and France, who had been called the eternal enemies, go to war with each other. It's complete nonsense. When I tell that to my children that France, that my father had been taught that France is the eternal enemy, they look at me like I'm a locomotive or <laughs> they simply cannot grasp it it's uh, it's a, and we could get to to that uh, that is uh, as an idea uh, that should be possible between Israel and Palestine also if both sides are reasonable like Germany and France became or between Russia and Ukraine so this Germany France is a good example of uh, how things could change within two generations yeah but Krauthammer as you described he had the idea that this was a method the he observed that Germany and Japan were hiding under the table. I remember that very well. There was a lot of discussion of Germany uh, in which way it could participate. And it was let's stay away from it, send money. uh, But that's it. Uh, If you can describe what his conclusions from that.
2: Yeah, no, he 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 understood already from uh, the What's when it started it? The article It's actually very early, it's from 1990, 1990 1991, the winter issue of uh, Foreign Affairs. And he r- realized that, you know, before people were talking about the possible multipolar order, and mm-hmm. because the economic powers are significant and they collaborate and, on the one hand and they compete on the other but it was not it was nothing that was would lead to a confrontation but krauthammer said you know when you had this when you had this war in in the gulf in the, uh, it was you know iraq had went into kuwait and then uh, united states mobilized for the war and what happened was that that all the economic power Accepted US dominance, hegemony. And this was the, something new. And uh, after that, you have, uh, they realized, I mean, another, another uh, neoconservative, Wolfovich, you know, realized that Russia did not intervene in the Gulf War. So, what we could do now. Is to take out all these countries that have been, you know, not very pro-United States and pro- to some extent pro-Russian. And so you so the idea was not that you use you have the military force to have it for deter a war against someone, you know, but instead to go to use the military force to go to war against one state after the other. And the and it was clear that uh, this was a um, also would lead to a number of wars that will force the economic powers to hide under the table, as Krauthammer said. Mm-hmm. So this would be the two arguments for going to war against one country after the other. And uh, what uh, already, actually, from September eighty nine. Uh, William Crowe, who was chairman of Joint Chief of Staff, the the top military leader in the United States, he said that the important things are now, you know, a coming war against Soviet Union or something like that. The important thing is regional contingencies. We are the dominant power, but there are still some trouble in the periphery, and we have to be able to discipline the periphery. So that was his idea, and, uh, and one, what was important in this case was also to control the Middle East and the oil resources. Because if you control the oil resources in the Middle East, you could control China, you could control Japan, you could control Europe. So, The idea was to be on top of all this, and the 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 neoconservatives that you know was brought up from this uh, experience, they they tried to uh, they had a you could say a hubris. It was a total. They thought you know. United States is a totally dominating power and we should dominate the world. So the pro- the pro- their problem was in the 1992 document that uh, Wolfowitz Cheney was responsible for was that we should we should uh, prevent the, the, a new rival. There shouldn't be a new rival developing anywhere in the world. So before you get something of, an, of a rival appearing, you should attack this rival and weaken it. What, something that one is trying to do with Russia today, for example. So that was U.S. policy from 1992. It has been a permanent policy to, to keep United States on the top, and to kind of eliminate any kind of uh, of opposition anywhere in the world. That was the idea.
1: Yeah, yeah you were describing also uh, Wesley Clark, who came from a, a meeting and said uh, they made the decision to get seven countries. Uh, if you include Afghanistan, it would have been eight, seven countries in five years. And. For me, it is that uh, they renamed the Ministry of War in the United States in the forties. I think forty-one or so. I'm not sure. Some somewhere in the during the war, into the Ministry of Defense. And what you see here is uh, that instead of what the European mindset was, that now there is a possibility for diplomacy. Now is the advent of the United Nations as a as a conflict-solving institution you could slowly move to the ideas of Immanuel Kant, um, which were uh, towards eternal peace, where he was describing something like that. If you have kind of a juridical system between the states and the military is kind of the police inside a state, it's not an entity of power projection from a single state. But the Americans were going the opposite direction. They were going Mm -hmm. into the direction that the, uh, the projection of force And that is a thing I would like to quote. You have it in your article. And uh, that is from Krauthammer. He says there's much talk about a new multipolar world and the promise of the United Nations as guarantee of new post Cold War order. That's what I just said. But this is a mistake cause um, and effect. And this is to mistake cause and effect the United States and the United Nations. The United Nations is a guarantor of nothing. Except in a formal sense, it can hardly be said to exist. Collective security, question mark, in the Gulf without the United States leading and prodding, bribing and blackmailing, no one would have stirred. So this is the attitude. I think this is important to understand that what you have is a gradual, um, gradually a developing basic idea of being the I would call it the Highlander theorem and the movie The Highlander said there can be only one. (laughs) And this is what they they were talking uh, about. There's no possibility for any kind of power balance or uh, that uh, promise for a more peaceful world. It's exactly the opposite. And I think this is important to understand that. It's not that it happened, it was planned this way it was yeah. the possibility yeah, yeah.
2: and but, also uh, you could say very clearly that uh, it was a you know the ex- development of the us forces from the end of the cold war was that they had forces for operation all over the world the special forces were responsible for various continents so it the, and they had from mid 90s they had deployments, or two to three thousand, two to three thousand deployments a year, mm-hmm. for the for the special forces, and this was training operation sometimes, but to large extent covert operation. So in um, in hundred forty countries, so that means that U.S. had a military presence all over the world, and you know United Nations were perceived as nothing actually, because they had this was a talking area for talking and mm. not for action and uh, the U.S has the force to act all over the world in ev- on every continent and and this was you know they understood the United states not as a as a nation state actually but as an empire as a global yeah. empire mm-hmm. and this Let's was a Neoconservative understanding, but to some extent, I mean, you had also Bill Odom. You know, in the in the who were had links to the Democratic Party. He was the military advisor to spread uh, to Brzezinski. in the late seventies. He was heading Army Intelligence. He was also uh, heading the National Security Agency. He was, you know, a top military who. Uh, who actually thought that United States was not just a regular nation state, but a state that was responsible, militarily responsible for all over the world.
1: Yeah, let's get um, to the question. Um, then the next, um, you could say one of the most next important steps is the project for a new American century. Um, after the advertisements, we have a few minutes of advertisements and then we continue there
3: tnt radio's timothy shea the double standard is out there it's so obvious it's so frustrating eric holder gets held in contempt of congress for defying a congressional subpoena nothing happens obama's doj didn't pursue it steve bannon and peter navarro defy a congressional subpoena joe biden's doj criminally prosecutes them criminally Prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama. Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right, I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart.
0: Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular, we can build that.
3: The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. Animals haven't
0: eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated.
3: As soon as we started our descent, Everywhere I can see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been in prolonged drought for so long. It was like a tinderbox box waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home.
0: All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats, so uh,
3: uh-huh. Okay. And around the world. For any animal, In any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution, one rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready.
1: Today's News Talk Radio.
4: Now we're talking. talking.
1: TNT. And uh, this is Dirk Pullman with my guest, uh, Professor Ola Jonanda, Professor for Emeritus for Security Policies. And we were talking about how it came uh, that uh, the United States uh, took the role of the sole superpower, and that was not accidentally. It was planned. And uh, I'd like to remind uh, I reminded that uh, they changed the Ministry of War into the Ministry of Defense. And then if you look at where America is and whom it can and has ever, ever defended against, it's ridiculous it is the best defendable country in the world probably <laughs> and uh there's uh it doesn't need uh close to one thousand bases something between 600 and one thousand uh, depending on how you count the base worldwide when China has two and uh, Russia has uh three I think yeah if you don't let the uh, former Soviet republics out so um that was the development that after the end of the cold war with the promises to gorbachev that uh, nato would not be enlarged and with the possibility to establish united nations as a democratic parliament problem solver for international problems instead it went the way of using let's say eternal war one war after the other to keep the europeans under the table as krauthammer said and have the americans um, at the uh, helmsman on the ship so um, and i think uh, in your article you also you described this project for a new american century so uh, i think that was a next step uh, in this direction if you can explain uh, or whatever you want to say to that um, i'm following your text <laughs> yeah no I, I i think
2: that's true I mean, it started. I think the project for a new American century started in 1997, and uh, it included a number of these neoconservatives uh, that uh, I spoke about before. and And it's the uh, the idea was that this would be the the next century, the you know, the, the 21st century would be centre of United States, it was. It would be a United States hegemony all over the world. That was the idea, and to have a to to have the capacity for that, you had to have wars going on. And what you get got in two thousand one was this attack on the, the on the the nine eleven the the on the World Trade Center and Pentagon, and this was used by a, you know, according to uh, to Wesley Clark, who was the Supreme Commander, in uh, Europe, he he said that this was a policy coup by the neoconservatives. They took over the whole system, and they could argue that they had to have a permanent war. In the coming you know for the all the future they didn't say any end of it and and this was a war on terror so the idea you had to have a terror attack and then you should have a war on these terrorist groups and uh, i mean the died from the from the project for new american century people like uh, donald rumsfeld who was a defense minister he said that uh, we should go to war against Iraq already a couple of hours after uh, the attack. He said, we, we should go to war uh, against Iraq. And then some others, I think also Colin Powell said that, you know, but there's no information that Iraq was involved in these attacks. And and he said, but that, and they were discussing Afghanistan. And and uh, Rumsfeld said, yeah, but Afghanistan has no targets. There is no way. There is no way. There is not one single target worth a cruise missile. That was Donald Rumsfeld's argument. So, so. But they pushed already from 1997. This group of people had pushed for a war against Iraq, and they decided already a week after, uh, a week after, or ten days after the. Eleventh September, they decided to go to war against Iraq, and then a couple of weeks later, they decided that they should go to war against all the, you know, states that were a little bit independent or critical towards the United States in the Middle East, also Syria, Lebanon, uh, and uh, and then Sudan and Somalia, and. Iran, at the end, so to speak. So and bef- and first, but first, they should go for Iraq. So that was the whole. The thinking was that one should take out all these countries, and one major reason was that they had to. They had to take out uh, the countries that have some kind of, uh, of oil cap- or oil resources because they had to control the oil in the Middle East and secondly they wanted to uh, to, to make uh, the countries n- unable to have a you know conflict with Israel so this was the two actually the two sides of it and all these neoconservatives had very close link to Israel and some have uh, also uh, Israeli citizenship so th- this was a Idea and that was up to uh, this was going on all the way in the, nine, in the early 2000s, and after that, they focus. They came to focus more on Russia and also more on China. And this was you. Many people believe that you know the republics, Republicans, focus on the middle east while the democrats were focused on 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 russia and so on but this is not the whole truth it was a it was a change because they were able to change it they it was time to start the attack against russia and that was when they said i mean first the, the extending nato but then when they decided said that they should extend nato to ukraine the russian says no way mm. this is a red line. we can never accept is,
1: i think that is important because it's not putin uh, who said that this is consensus in russia that this is the red line it was also uh boris yeltsin talked about that uh, so it's very clear that uh, what was going on there uh, um, that is, uh, I think we have to understand because now we personalize the conflict. Uh, Putin does this; Putin does that. That is a red line for Russia. Mm-hmm. And you have a comparison in your text, um, which I'd like you to explain. What what would happen if, let's say, Mexico had some? Uh, but you tell me.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's actually Mexico is is not really the best example. I would say that if you had. Uh, Texas and Florida and Louisiana and Alabama and so on becoming independent states, as mm-hmm. Ukraine became an independent state, and and if Russia would, you know, arm these countries, the new independent countries, Texas, <laughs> Florida and so on, and they, Washington would never accept that. Mm-hmm. It was if they moved in a lot of forces into, into Texas and into Georgia and uh, you know uh, Alabama and so on, this would be unacceptable for Washington. And that is what happened now with Ukraine. And, uh, and it's very clear that Russia says United States has, has passed the red line. They crossed the red line, and, and, and that led to war. And they have been clear on this already from 2008 that this would lead to war. It was this yes. red line of all. The, then Ambassador William Burns, now CIA director, said to Condoleezza Rice, who was the se- uh, Secretary of State,
1: and so Angela it- Merkel said that, too. Angela Merkel said that it was clear to her that uh, uh, if Ukraine would join NATO, this would be a cause of war. Yeah. So we yes. are uh, they're fiddling with that again. But um, one thing I, um, I recall, I mean, 2003, when Germany and France did not abide the USA in the Iraq war and Condoleezza Rice said uh, France has to be punished. Yeah, that was um, I know some people in France and they were very upset about this schoolboy situation that they were put it into. <laughs> but Europe in general, how did that work that Europe, which was on its own way um, to become not a power, but really uh, they were not thinking. Unfortunately, they never think in terms of how they could uh, project power. Uh, um, for let's say diplomatic reasons but they were simply on a different uh on a different road it was like USA was going into the military road and uh, Europe was going to uh, into the diplomatic road to diplomatize the whole world the, with the European solution that we had uh getting rid of all the Wars how did the Americans manage to get um Europe on track into their um into their uh um ideology um because now europe is uh, hardly anything more than a poodle it has no own will you can blow up pipelines uh, germany will uh, look very very hard uh, to find somebody who could be responsible except the americans yeah uh, but how did that start um this is the thing that i wonder because europe was different at that time
2: yeah no i i think it, i mean it was the clear way, clear example of how to express this was Robert Kagan, who said that that Europe is from another planet. They, the Europe are the Europeans are from Venus, and the Americans are from Mars, and they had you know very different experience after uh, after the Second World War. So that meant that they, the you know the Americans, believe that they should go into foreign areas and fix it uh, while the europeans were thinking of their own nationalist past the germans nationalist past which was you know dangerously uh, in its development so this was a there were you know european union was actually a product of the european way of thinking and the necessity of collaborating uh, and have a di- diplomatic solutions as you said and the, what i think the americans did after two, 2003 after the french and the germans had not accepted uh, to go, to uh, to go into the iraq war and and uh, you know protested in the UN security council was that you had a number of terrorist attacks in the in in Europe, that made the Europeans accept the American way of understanding of the world. So you you had a you had a kind of a, a, the Americans were entering the European states through the back door by by the security services and intelligence services. So this this is the way the Americans entered Europe, and uh, I think this is a you know is very difficult issue for the Euro- Europeans to accept, but it it was definitely what happened, and uh, and uh, the Europeans I mean in 2008 the European protested you know strongly or they have said that they would not accept that uh, Ukraine would be be uh, part of NATO, for example, while the Americans were pushing for this. Mm. And, uh, and this was a... But after some time, it changed more and more, and uh, you could say the narrative changed. The way you understand, you also had... Uh, you have... Um, one of uh, the leading, leading uh, supporters of uh, Zelensky in Ukraine, I mean, the, the military advisor uh, uh, that said that, you know, without the Skripal case in Britain and without the shooting down the airline, Nothing would have been possible, really. The point was that these kind of events showed the idea. I mean, the interpretation of these events was that actually they had to, that Putin was evil because mm-hmm. it, shooting down of an airliner, it was a poisoning of a, of a former... Uh, spies uh, that were in Britain and so on, and this was interpreted that it was Moscow or Russia was responsible for this. There is no indication actually for that, but that is a. But this was used by the people who was pushing for a war, mm-hmm. and this this kind of in, initiative started already uh, 2014, if not before that, actually.
1: So we have something similar to the Italian strategy of tension to get uh, um, uh, obedient uh, states. Um, that is, a, um, I think, uh, to we have to explain a little bit about the strategy of tension, what it means. Um, again, after the ads, we have about 15 minutes left after that. And I'd like to go into China, Japan, and the current situation, including Israel. So the ads now de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
4: Two new internationally peer-reviewed studies published in major scientific journals have documented misleading northern hemisphere temperature data and attribution analysis indicating inadequate considerations of the urban heat island, its influence on climate records and dominant influences of the sun, and producing warming and cooling phases. Published in August in the journal Climate, The first of these studies concludes that the global warming influences on people could be mostly an urban problem associated with a well-known urban heat island phenomenon by where structures, including paved surfaces and concrete buildings, absorb heat during the day and release it at night but, of course, much more slowly. Although urban areas account for less than 4% of the global land surface, they contain many of the weather stations where temperatures are collected, which substantially skew the bigger picture. Whereas the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change estimates that UHI accounts for less than 10% of the global warming, The new study suggests that urban warming might account for up to 40% of the recorded change since 1850. Now you combine that with some of the other things that the IPCC conveniently seems to ignore, like underwater heating that's going on, and what do you get? You get a good reason to be very, very skeptical on what you're being told about the climate. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you've got
0: i didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go but i did ask for help and covenant house was there for me one in ten young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year for these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation covenant house is there providing hot meals a safe place to sleep medical care and love they just really, genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today.
1: You're listening to Dirk Pullman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And we're going back. We were talking about uh, how terror attacks uh, made Europe obedient to the American uh, strategy, and I, uh, I compared it to the strategy of tension and not everybody possibly knows it. But in the in Italy, in the 70s, late 70s to the early 80s, there was uh, what is called the strategy of tension. These were terror attacks that were um, attributed to the left wing when, in fact, it was done by right wing uh, people who had a direct connection to entities in the intelligence services of the state, but also into NGOs, I would call that the propaganda duo, the Freemason Lodge sounds like a conspiracy, but if you you can read about it a lot, Um, there's a a lot now known about it. So it was used. um, So the the public would ask for protection, and the protection in terms that the state should crack down on dissenters um, and be uh, so to keep the herd together, they these these criminals were used as sheep shepherds for <clears throat> uh, shepherd dogs for the shepherd. So um, that is what you s- suggested. Uh, did I uh, did I explain it correctly, or was it over the top? Did I uh, emphasize too much? Oh, I think um, it,
2: it, it's probably the case, but it's it, you don't have all the the evidence to prove it, so to speak, yet, and you have. Yet. When it comes to the Italian case, it's very clear. So it, it's it's uh, a but you have very clear indication pointing in this direction, and uh, uh-huh. and I think what you have also is that uh, that uh, the Russians after some time understood that you couldn't trust the Western media at all, really, and this was uh, they have given up on the Western media really. And uh, I, I remember I spoke with one leading neoconservative uh, who was, you know, was a person who might get uh, uh, the top positions in the, to the president and so on. And he said, you know, what the Russians didn't understand was that we control the mass media and we control the financial system. And that was that gave U.S. the primacy. And this, of course, is a. This is almost impossible to speak about, really, but that yeah. was what he said, and uh, and I think that uh, you have to. You have to understand that that this is defining the present conflict in uh, in in the globally, and also when it comes to the Ukraine war, it is a, it the Russians. And the Chinese have given up on the west really and and uh, they think that it's only to the what is you know what you do on the ground that matters, and you have to force the the western countries i mean it's not the the West in general, it's actually the Americans and the british and the 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 Italian services. had play who had been playing a game for quite a long time. And uh, and this has is now going into some kind of confrontation. And what 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 the Russians and the Chinese are doing is to develop the BRICS cooperation. And also to develop a cooperation where they are not using the dollar. So the you know you know that in in after the gold after united states left the gold standard in 71 i think and uh, and then kissinger went to saudi arabia and got a deal with the saudis in 74 about the petrodollar that you know all the the oil and gas should be mm. paid in dollars and that gave the dollar a significant role also as a reserve currency because they should buy us bonds Treasuries. So that was a that was a system how it functioned for a very long time, and now the Amer- the Russians and the Chinese are trading in their own currencies, and and now also the Saudis and the Iranians are joining uh, the Russians and the Chinese. So it's in the BRICS. From, uh, I guess it's from day after tomorrow, and and uh, and that means that that uh, the BRICS are not just a small entity any longer. It's a large part of the world population, and you will get some kind of of clash between the traditional unipolar West and uh, what. Uh, the BRICS countries are working for a kind of multipolar system and for a while this will appear as a bipolarity actually and it might be uh, lead to some kind of dangerous developments but uh, in the i think that this is what 2024 will really be the most significant problems in 2024
1: yeah, um, um, I have been on a conference in Belarus and there was a guy from Iran and he gave uh, from the uh, from the foreign ministry department and he gave a very interesting speech on the this rules-based order. Um, I want to remind people that also the mafia is a rules-based order uh, and there from this example you can see that there's a difference between international law and a rules-based order because you don't know who puts up the rules and then in effect what he argued was um, and it was a very um, uh, very philosophical text that he delivered um, very high capacity person i would say um, that uh, it is a possibility to declare what you want as a um uh, as a you you can do it gives you the option to stay out of the uh, the law which means the law also protects the weaker part this is uh, one of the effects that uh, international law has that you can apply to law and then you can ask uh, this is the whole idea of the united nations or what i said of Immanuel uh, kant Yeah. That um, that uh, uh, it was would be possible to apply to law and say I'm treated unjust, and that uh, an international community would step in. Which happened, for example, in 1956 in the Suez Crisis, uh, under Dag Hammarskjöld, who uh, brought in the, the he invented the blue helmets for that. So soldiers who kept peace um, had no other no other track record than working as a police force uh, in an area to establish an international law again, but they're going away from that. And you also mentioned um, the uh, the oral. Uh, the oral, um, I mean, the treaty really that uh, Gorbachev had been told, and we have been told afterwards all the time that uh, oral treaties are not binding. And uh, you have a good example <laughs> uh, for it a very important treaty. This is complete nonsense but that leads me to the next question if you can answer this uh, um, this and and i would like to go because you mentioned the media and that is the problem we don't hear the media don't deliver as a version of reality but of propaganda but first if you can explain uh, this with a rule-based order international law and uh, with the oral treaties
2: yes no i I think it's what happens is that uh, in the recent years, United States has started to talk about rule-based order. There has been, you know, some kind of uh, the the concept have uh, appeared before, but I think uh, it to some extent started with Mattis uh, in uh, two thousand seventeen, and but now the last two years it has been used very very often, and uh, I I remember the, you know the. The the Biden spoke about it in 2022 several times, and uh, and uh, and this was and he didn't speak about international law. He he spoke about rule based order, and this a rule based international order. And uh, when I listened to uh, the the you know Atlantic Committee conference in Oslo all the keynote speakers spoke about rule based order five i think it was spoke about or mentioned rule based rules based international order and the, so that was a it's it's like during the mao period in china where you have to utter some words you know <laughs> that you have to you have to you have to mention these kind of words to show that you are loyal and and uh, submit to the to the power, and this is the same now. You have to show your loyalty and submit submission to the power, and and uh, so you speak about rules based order, which is many people. I think in Norway, for example, they would think that is the same as international law, but it's not. But <clears throat> the same how the US use it because they use. They have a very selective use of the international law. They use international law when it suits them. So, for example, they had these sanctions, and sanctions is is uh, you know functioned very much as a um, Alfred, the UN uh, special rapporteur Alfred Sayas, who said that you know, sanction function as a siege of the the medieval. Siege of a t- of a town or city, mm. you you have uh, armies around surrounding it, and you don't get mm. the food and the water inside and so on. And that is more or less the same as what the sanctions is about. Mm. So it, it's a and it's kind of warfare, and it has to be decided by the Security Council. But because Russia and China has a veto in Security Council they decide uh the united states decide to to bypass the security council and that you do by creating a new rule based international order you that makes selective use of the international law mm. and that is actually what you have today is a conflict on the one hand between also between International law and rule-based international order, and the multipolar uh, world order on the one hand, or the, or the, and the other hand, the uni, unipolar world order. So the idea from the American side is that the, the you should have a unipolarity under US control,
1: Hegemony,
2: and not yeah, <laughs> States, and that um, is
1: we only have five minutes left so i'd like to get into uh china because that's important um the thing i would like to mention is that you wrote in one of your articles that uh, greenland uh was given by the norwegians to denmark orally <laughs> there's no treaty on that it was done as a as an agreement between uh uh, uh norway and and uh, and uh denmark so that is a good example and also to put it very clear that it's not true that if it's uttered verbally that Gorbachev couldn't rely on it. he's just been betrayed. And so this is what the West is and what the Russians now understand uh, and the Chinese understand. And what is your take? What will be going on? Because China is very prudent. It has a prudent uh, intellectual class governing them. How will they deal with this idea from the Americans? What is the outlook?
2: I think. When it comes to Taiwan, for example, that is, has been the the major issue in recent years, United States accepts and most countries accept Taiwan as being part of China. I mean that has been also the, the Taiwanese understanding. The Taiwanese understanding was formally, you know that that uh, China was part of of Taiwan. You know, it was. I mean, they were totally. They both sides were in agreement with that this was one country. The problem was just who was running it, and uh, and the UN accepted from the 70s that Beijing would it's running China, and, uh, and now I have. I think that China has very difficult to believe that they would or think that they ever would attack Taiwan to take control militarily of Taiwan. I think that is not going to happen. But the problem is that if the Americans move in forces in Taiwan, they will deny it. So it, it has a similarity with Ukraine in a sense that mm-hmm. Russia was not interested in occupying Ukraine territory, but they would, wanted to deny the Western access to Ukraine territory. And that is the same when it comes to Taiwan. T- China will deny Western access to military access to to Taiwan because that would obviously be a unsinkable aircraft carrier close to, to Chinese territory. I mean, that would be... Totally unacceptable, and and of course it's like uh, I mean it's also accepted all over the world almost. It's just a couple of countries that don't accept that uh, the one China policy. So it's I mean if uh, if China, for example, would have moved in forces into one of the uh, American states and Started to more or less take over that state. That would be militarily. That would be unacceptable for United States. I mean, if they moved in forces into into Florida and uh, mm. took over Florida, that would be.
1: Do you think the Americans are going for a two front war in uh, in Ukraine, or will they shut down Ukraine before they start China?
2: I think they. The idea was to weaken Russia before they started the war with with China. Mm. That was the that was idea. What happened is that they would, did not succeed in doing that. Mm. So now it became difficult. I, I, I remember one uh, or some neoconservatives actually arguing in the United States for that the U.S. should stop the war in Ukraine because one should focus on China.
1: Yeah, as uh, I said, there's foreign policy with this article, they are planning and it's very, if you read it uh, low uh, below the nuclear threshold, but this the planning is already there for the war. Uh, We have to finish now. We have about 15 seconds to go. Thank you very much, Ula, as always, very insightful and um, hope to see you next year. And also the same Happy New Year to all my listeners here on TNT. Goodbye.